This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a jam-packed show for you guys this week. Of course, we had all of the big news regarding the NHL and their return to play and an extension of the CBA agreement, four more years of labor peace. We'll get into all of that as well as the fact that we this week, we, we mentioned it on last week's episode 66, which I hope... Everybody enjoyed our, our episode 66 and our subsequent social media posts throughout the entire week. So I hope you all enjoyed that. But as we said last week during that episode, we have Jay Fresh coming on for a good 40 minutes to talk about the upcoming Pens versus Montreal Canadian series. So that is a hell of an interview that we have coming up for you guys just in a little bit. But before we get started on that, my name is Nick Verlansky. As always, I am joined by Nick Horwat, and we were joined together with about 10 other people yep. this past weekend on Saturday night for the Hockey Podcast Network After Hours Episode 4. So if you did not tune into that, one, shame on you mm-hmm. because it was a, I keep saying it, it was a hell of an episode, a good three and a half hours of just pure content and mm-hmm. premium content. Berlansky was coherent for it this time. I was there for it. You, you you were there for the entire three and a half hours. I did not. I jumped in at about hour one and a half. Uh, I've done a lot of podcasting this week, to say the least. Yeah, you, you've definitely gotten your voice out there. So that was your first experience with the after hours. I mean, technically, that was my first experience that I can remember with yeah. the after hours, but it was my second episode on there. So what did you think? First experience with after hours. I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. It was it was cool meeting a lot of the people. Like, I honestly, I'm on the network, and I don't listen to as much of the content as I should probably. I will openly admit that. <laughs> but it was cool kind of, you know, like, I know who I knew who most of these people were, and it was kind of cool meeting them and getting to know them a little more. I mean, not like we were, like, sat down, like, how was your day, this, all that. But, I mean, it was nice to sit down and, like, just be able to chat with them over, you know, nonsense, really. I mean, I don't think me and – Tom Franklin really ever held that long of a conversation. Yeah, that guy's a G. So, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, especially being on the whole three hours. Like I said, I did. A, I've done a lot of podcasting this week, and that's not a joke because we did our our fan interviews that we we're going to be getting into. We did our Jay Fresh interview in between the late night show and the our interviews. I did an interview with a podcast from the Hockey Writers from a Montreal podcast. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about 45 minutes, and now we're doing this. Like, I've done quite a lot of recording this week. I've been in this seat in front of this microphone a lot, and I, I'm going to have a well-deserved break in a, tomorrow, I think. You mentioned it perfectly. It's nice to – yes, we talked to these guys on Slack. Yes, we've talked to them before, but it's nice to sit down for a couple hours and just shoot the shit with some of these guys, especially, like, you you talked about, like, Neil Villapiano, who is new to the network with the New Jersey Devils, the Devil State of Mind podcast, so check him out. You got Craig, who is the most charismatic person I've ever met, and I definitely haven't had extended conversations <laughs> with people from Louisiana, but now that I have, I feel like I need to have more of them. He was a lot of fun. Because Craig is definitely a character. 
the, one of the best things from last from last night though was just we're just doing our thing, and next thing I know, I glance at his. He's talking about something. I'm like, Greg, where did your shirt go? Like, <laughs> next thing we know, it's just his tattooed body and just. He is definitely one of a kind, but if any of this sounds enticing to you with which, if it doesn't check your pulse, because it is very enticing to anybody with, with a pulse, check it out at our Patreon page at his patreon.com slash the hockey podcast network, or you could check it out on our, on their Facebook page, the hockey podcast network, but let's get into the bulk of our episode today. We spent the first five minutes peddling our own yeah. after hour show, but you know, when it's that good, you have to do And We that. didn't even so, mention the best part, which was, um, Hockey Troll was on there. Yeah, uh, well, sort of like I was on episode three. He was there, but it was in a spirit, slow progression down. But I mean, <laughs> you know what? Troll was as troll as ever, and he he was a great time. And but you know, yeah, go check out the episode for the rest. I just had to throw in that if our fans like Hockey Troll, they should probably go watch him make a fool of himself, <laughs> feel good uh, about it. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. A, a different side of Hockey Troll that none of us have seen before, but. Like I was getting to, the NHL and the NHL Players Association agreed to a CBA extension and the return to play protocol, so it is officially official. I know I've said that a couple times, but now it is, it is that is it. We have had so many hurdles to jump over, but now it's just, it's here. Today, as this comes out, is the first day of NHL training camps, the first day of Phase 3 for the NHL return to play protocol. So let me run down a list of the critical dates here that the NHL has now set forth. Like I said, July 13th, which is today that this day comes out, training camps open for all of the 24 teams involved in that playoff. The 26th of July, teams will travel to their respective hub cities. For Pittsburgh, that means we're going to Toronto. So that's where the Pens are going to be playing. From the 28th to the 30th of July, we're going to have some exhibition games being played between the teams in the 24-team format. August 1st, Pittsburgh Penguins, Montreal Canadiens, Game one of the play-in round. That is your official return to hockey date, Pittsburgh Penguins fans. August 1st, circle it on your calendar. That is game one, Pens Habs. I'm pumped for that. But let me run down through a couple more of the dates. August 10th, of course, is going to be phase two of the NHL draft lottery. Of course, that is a tentative date, pending on if they can get all of those play-in games done by then, which they should be able to. Judging the Stanley by the Cup finals, schedule, they should be. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. The Stanley Cup Finals are set to begin September 22nd, which would peg them as the last possible day being October 4th. So the season should be wrapped up and the Stanley Cup should be awarded by October 4th with the NHL draft being October 9th and 10th. So that is a lot of dates to be thrown at you. But the big one is August 1st, Game 1, Penns Habs. It is massive that we are getting it back. We're getting all of these dates back, which is insane. Let me run down the Pens have schedule for you because that's what we know you guys care about the oh, most. Yeah. Game one, August 1st. Game two will be August 3rd. Game three, August 5th. Game four, if necessary, <laughs> will happen on 8-7-2020. 2020. It'll be the first time ever that Sidney Crosby would be playing on his birthday. Hog wild. That would be interesting. And and if there is a necessary game five, it's August 8th. But the story is Crosby might have a game scheduled on his birthday, which, yes, it's not a massive, massive deal. But at the same time, it is interesting. 
it is interesting to see what he's going to do with that. Can he turn that into a, as you mentioned on the After Hours show, what'd you say, eight goals and seven assists? I think maybe like one goal, seven assists for eight points could could happen. I think that's probably more theoretically the way to go on that. But it would be fun to see him play on his birthday. Obviously, a regular regular season and playoffs would not allow it. It's that's clearly off-season time. But COVID Cup year, possibly Sidney Crosby playing on his birthday. What do you think about that? I keep saying he's going to go buck wild if he gets that opportunity, I think. I'm not saying we throw a game, but I'm saying if Montreal happens to, you know, wipe us up real quick one game, there's going to be fire. Like I, It's something that, like, if it was any other player, I don't even think we would know it. Like, I couldn't tell you Malkin's birthday off the top of my head. I know it's not July 1st. I can tell you that. But the fact that this superstitious kid kid jesus this superstitious man that was born on august 7th 1987 where is 87 because of that gets paid 8.7 million dollars every year he has surrounded himself made himself synonymous with this number having him play on this date would be incredible like i said like if it was any other player we'd be like yeah cool whatever but it's because it is setting ourselves Go ahead. Are we setting ourselves up for failure? Probably. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say disappointment, but yeah. Probably. He goes out there, has like a minus five game. <laughs> He's a minus uh, seven with eight penalty minutes. Yeah. There it is. Like, I feel like we're setting ourselves up for failure here, but it will be fun to watch and see if it's like a Michael Jordan moment that, oh, he played on his birthday one time in his career and this is what he did. Or it's, yeah, oh yeah, he played on his birthday. That's we don't talk try about to forget it. <laughs> that. Yeah, we don't talk about it very often. It could but... be one of the like, and I'm, I'm not saying it's one of those things we should take super seriously and be like, no, we have to lose a game so we can play as known. It just if it happens, it should just be in the back of our heads. Like, let's just oh, that's cool. Just watch him. Watch him a that's little more cool. today. Yeah, definitely. You want to go in there and sweep the Montreal Canadiens, which, yes, starting with our Jay Fresh interview coming up in a couple minutes, we are going to be talking a lot over the next three weeks about this matchup. We have, like I said, Jay Fresh interview coming up. Really excited about that. And then we have our two listener episodes on episode 68 and 69 leading up to the Montreal Canadiens versus Pittsburgh Penguins game one on August 1st. We're going to have two episodes, lots of talk about that series, lots of discussion about what we're going to see, what we could see. But let's continue here talking about the NHL's return to play protocol. Players do have the option to opt out penalty free. Mm -hmm. That has to happen by five o'clock the day this comes out. That's July 13th. They're able to opt out, but they have to do it by five o'clock p.m. Penguins-wise, it doesn't seem like anybody's going to, but as of right now, when we're recording, here's the current list of players that have opted out. Travis Hamanick from Calgary, Sven Berchi from Vancouver, Roman Polak from Dallas, Mike Green from Edmonton, Stephen Camper from Boston, and Carl Olsner from Montreal. So those are the players that have opted out. For the Penguins, Zach Trotman will not be part of that roster, not because of opting out, but because of an injury is from what it looks like from all intents and purposes from what Rutherford has been speaking of. So for the Penguins, the people that are not going to be in that bubble, Nick Bukestad, Dom Simone, we already know those two, and then Zach Trotman dropped right after this was all announced that this was happening. So for all intents and purposes, I feel like the Penguins are fairly healthy heading into this. I mean, yeah, they're just very healthy. There's no way of putting it. I mean, Bukestad wasn't, hasn't been around all season. Okay. And Dom Simone, I mean... I mean, we were, he was going to be down six to seven months whenever it happened. So we weren't going to be having him until early next season anyway. 
So there's not much to be missed there. And as for our roster, I mean, other than those two, Zach Trauman, I mean, yeah, he's a AHL defenseman that, you know, could be getting a quick call up due to injury, but I mean it's not it's odds are he wasn't gonna see time, so looking at our roster, we're pretty well set, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll discuss the roster a little bit because that came out on Sunday afternoon too. The the roster for the training camp in Phase Three, which is also assumed to be the roster that will be heading to Toronto on what is that J- July twenty sixth, whenever they're heading up there. So let's continue to talk a little bit about this return to play. The big thing they came out, the play in rounds are officially considered the postseason. That yes. is where the stats will be going. And for all intensive purposes for trades and stuff like that, it is the postseason, meaning the Pittsburgh Penguins have officially, and let me say this louder for the hockey troll in the back, they are officially clinching their 14th straight postseason berth. The longest active streak in the NHL continues for at least this season in this weird COVID-19 2020 year. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, man, we made it. We talked about it a little bit on a previous episode, and it's not that it's massively important to us, but it's something that it's nice to check off every year. Especially this year, whenever this was the first year in a long time that people were actually starting to write us off as not making the playoffs. I can remember there were quite a few people at the beginning of the season, Troll included, but of course. But there were some, like, big media names saying, I just don't think the Penguins can do it this year, you know? They were mocking the Brandon Tanev signing. They saw the sweep of the Islanders the year before and were saying, you know, they're cooked. You know, Matt Murray can't stop a puck. Malkin and Crosby are over the hill. And now we see what's happened. We've, for all intents and purposes, we shouldn't have made it this year with the amount of injuries, turmoil, and bullshit we've gone through this year. But here we are. We're here a couple of games out of being a definite top four seed and honestly I think the fact that we're in this spot I think makes the hockey we're gonna be watching way more fun because it, it's something to play for it's not just these round robin games that aren't gonna mean Basically too much like exhibition games yeah like I kind of like I don't know if I'd be enjoying the it, I don't know if that would be enjoyable to watch. I mean, I'm sure it'd be great hockey to watch, but I think in the back of my mind, I'd be like, well, this game really doesn't matter that much. We're going to be playing in the playoffs in a couple couple weeks anyway. But I like that we're in this spot. It's a competitive spot. It's a it's the first team out, too. So it's not like we were going to miss anything major. So we were in a good spot. I like that we're playing for something for three to five games. It's going to be really enjoyable to watch. Well, yes, it's going to be enjoyable to watch the Pittsburgh Penguins in that play-in series, which, like I mentioned several times, the East will be in Toronto. But once we reach the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals, the East will be moving from Toronto to the other hub city in Edmonton, where those two series will be played. Stanley Cup finals get to go to Edmonton. It's probably the only chance Edmonton's going to have to host a Stanley Cup final in the McDavid era. That's enough of the return to play stuff. Quite exciting to hear about. Not as exciting to read, and that is the CBA extension. It is a four-year extension, meaning that the new expiration date on this CBA is September 15th of 2026. So we don't have to worry about a lockout and or a strike for another four years, which is nice. You did all the reading of the CBA. I know that what most of what was involved was the return to play plan 
and um, the four-year extension and Olympic participation, which we'll get into, but you did the skim reading of the whole 70-some pages. I'm, I applaud you for that. That's something I could never <laughs> do. But yeah, you can go in depth on to what you know on it. I mean, there really was, there was a lot of fluff in there, and trust me, I'm not a lawyer, and I, after reading that, I definitely don't want to be a lawyer, because even the wording, it's just, you don't need to make it like this. But, like you mentioned, the salary cap looks like it's going to stay the same, at least next year, probably the following year, before going up possibly a million to Ooh. three million in that third year, so... It's going to be tough in that aspect. There was a lot on escrow that they changed the numbers to try to make it more fair for the players, but let's just face it, escrow isn't really fair for the players in the first place, so whatever they put in there hopefully makes it just a tad bit better for them. I didn't quite understand all of the escrow talk. Going to have to do a lot more reading to be able to do that, but as you mentioned, the big thing that was in there, Olympic participation both in 2022 and 2026. We're finally going to possibly get a chance to see Crosby, McDavid, McKinnon Woo! on Team Canada. We'll get to see Malkin, Ovi, Panarin on Team Russia. Team United States, who I think is going to be stacked, stacked finally going for into once. this. Connor Hellebuck in net. Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Jake Gensel, Blake Wheeler, McAvoy, Wierenski. The list goes on and on. But it's going to be interesting because this is the first time that we get to see this new generation of players play in the Olympics once they've established themselves in the NHL. Yes, these guys played in World Juniors about five years ago, but it's not the same stage as the Olympics. While we love the World Juniors, and trust me, it is the best thing to watch every December, the Olympics just has a different standard. And I know our buddy Shane Ryan from the Centurion Overtaking podcast doesn't quite agree, but I feel like most people tend to agree that the Olympics is the gold standard of everything in sport and just professional hockey players getting to go in 2022 is going to make it that much better. What are your thoughts on Olympic participation? It's going to be interesting. I mean, for once it might be a little more even for the United States. I mean, I have found myself over the years not really rooting for them just because the team has been dog shit. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say it like that, but oh my God, has it been bad? Um, but for once, finally, it looks like it could be competitive. Very competitive. I mean, I'm impressed by it. And, I mean, this is also still one more note on it. It is, It could still be struck down by higher powers and by way of a IAHF and the Olympic Committee, but they're, gonna, they're all going to accept it probably. It's going to make them more money. They'd be stupid to not accept that. No, unless, yeah, unless them and Bettman get into a... Oh. Yeah, it could exactly. happen. So uh, no. let's just uh, keep our fingers crossed on that. But yeah, I mean, that's just the last hurdle. It's a small one, but just keep that in mind as well. But I mean, other than that, finally, Team USA is going to be competitive. Team Canada might be aging, but still we're going to get to see something that no one has ever seen before, mm -hmm. which you mentioned yeah, they Crosby McDavid. As for their goalie situation, though, it might be weird. We just see how people develop. I mean, these everything here is still two years down the line. So mm -hmm. we, I mean... All hell could break loose. Every name we just said might could just fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> Judging I by how like 2020 is going, you never know. <laughs> That's true. That's very fair. So we will get into the Olympics in, in just a couple minutes. But before we do that, we did mention the Pens did announce their Phase 3 roster. And I will always tell you and admit when I was wrong on a take. I was wrong about saying Nathan Legare was going to be in the bubble 
but he, I was He was like the correct. only one you were wrong about. <laughs> that, I was about to say, I was correct in pretty much everybody else, including P.O. Joseph and Sam Poulin. So I'm just going to toot my own horn about that a little bit, seeing that those two guys are in training camp. I'm excited to see. Hopefully, they're going to play a couple what, scrimmage games that are supposed to be simulated live-action game days. Interesting. I want to be able to yeah. watch those, whether it's just on Twitter Live or Facebook Live from the Penguins. I will watch it from a crappy far out camera angle. I know baseball teams have been filming their inner squad games. Um, I saw the pirates were doing one today and oh my God, it was a terrible, terrible camera angle. Especially for baseball. Like, like the, you can't see anything. I've seen, I saw the Yankees do it and it, they were doing it. I think they were doing it as the an right, actual broadcast. Yeah, it was like on the yes broadcast, Network. but the pirates, I think they just like stuck a phone and like the furthest section behind home plate and didn't zoom in <laughs> and you and could, just left it there and just left it there. And that was brutal. But I mean, hockey is an easier thing. You, you could just do that for hockey. You don't have this whole 400 you know, feet to dead center field mm-hmm. to try and to try and get a camera on. You could stick a camera at the end, even just both ends. If you really want to be that lazy, it's, you can easily film these and put it up on Periscope, Facebook Live, Twitter, whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah. It's all, all possible All I'm saying is let's see it. I'm sure they will. Let's... I'm sure people are going to ask for it. I'm sure they'll get it. All they got to do is stick a camera somewhere, maybe one cameraman. It's all we need. They did announce their Phase 3 roster. If you want to know who's all on that roster, go to our Instagram, our Twitter, and our Facebook, all at Iceberg Podcast, and check out the graphics that we put up that contains the names of the people that will be at Phase 3 practices and training camp starting today. It's getting exciting and it's getting closer. We're within three weeks from the start of that NHL season. So we have one more thing before we throw it over to the Jay Fresh interview. We talked about the Olympics coming back in 2022. So we want to give our opinions on, as of right now, which Pittsburgh Penguins could be going to the Olympics in 2022? Horwat, let's start with you. How many countries do you have the Penguins represented in so between both the nhl and the ahl rosters we have eight different countries and you could do nine if you count the italian heritage and everything but i didn't count that so we have eight true countries that could be represented i think i had six of them officially in my i wrote a piece about it i think at six officially going i have five I mean, one of them. So. One of them was also purely based on Latvia making it. So that's for, <laughs> that's for Teddy Bluger. I mean, if Latvia makes it, yeah, he's a I think we could just, <laughs> yeah, we could just both agree that Teddy Bluger would be on Team Latvia if they made it to the Olympics. Yeah, but other than that, I think I know what one other country you didn't have. But starting with my alphabetical order, Team Canada. I think the easy one is Crosby. We'd already mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice to see guys like. Latang or Murray or Jari get an opportunity, but team, it's Team Canada, dude. You're screwed. You're, you're not going to be able to. I think Chris Latang makes that team. You think? Okay, the, the team is picked in December yeah. the year before. So the team is picked in basically like 14 months. I can easily see Chris Latang coming out in this playoff, going off. If the Penguins win the Stanley Cup and Chris Latang is massive on the defensive end, and then he goes out and has a good season next year. Not a great, doesn't have to be a fantastic Norris Trophy season. If he has a good season next year, I can see him hopping some of the players on there. I mean, realistically, it is a popularity contest when you're talking about Olympic participation. And 
I think that Latang has the skill to be on that Olympic team, especially a team Canada that realistically doesn't usually give two shits about actual defense. Yeah. They just care about scoring. And so, Shea Weber. <laughs> and and Shea Weber, exactly. Or Mark Edward Vlasic. So for one shutdown defenseman, I think Chris Letang would have a chance. I don't say he would necessarily be a starter, but I think he has a chance to break camp as on that team. Yeah, I, it's got, it definitely has that opportunity. I was just thinking more of like it is a popularity contest. There's going to be a ton of talent at all times for hockey and Team Canada. Mm-hmm. Plus add two years onto his age. It's going to be a little harder to do then. But, I mean, hey, I, I'm not doubting it. I like the idea of it, but it's just a little bit harder for him. Listen, if Chris Kunitz can make Team Canada in what year was that, 2014? 2014. Then I think Chris Letang can make Team Canada in 2022. Fair point, fair point. All right. Um, but then the Team Czech Republic, I believe I also had as well. Dominic Simone, the one and only Czech native from – or Czech native on the Penguins. I wrote him in because, I mean, hell, his 64 points are 14th among current Czech Republic players already. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like that's just in the NHL. And the Czech Republic has a lot of, clearly, has a lot of players that are going to be on that team that aren't from the NHL. Yarmir Yager to start. So I feel like he would be close. I just don't think he makes the cut on that team. If you look at the 14 people ahead of him, most of them are forwards. And if you look at some yeah. of the people below him, some of them are probably bigger names. They're going to get selected over him. I don't know if Andre Kasha is ahead of him or below him, but I would see Andre Kasha getting picked before Dom Simone. So I, I don't have him being selected for team Czech Republic, but it is, it is going to be close. I put him on by, I mean, he's played very well for them internationally. That was a big reason for it. I mean, he, was in the top five or something of scoring in the last IHF championship. So, um, like I said, his also his versatility. We mentioned we've talked about him on this podcast multiple times playing center. He's able to play kind of wherever on a forward line. So, if you're stacked up on center or you're stacked up on a wing, he'll be able to flip flop wherever and fit into wherever you need. Would he be a first line guy? Oh hell no, no, no. <laughs> but could he sneak in as a fourth line depth piece? I think so. He's vers- versatile enough and has contributed immensely for international play before. Put him on a line with Yogs. <laughs> I think Yager's still going to be playing by then. Oh, yeah. All right. He'll definitely be playing. But also, this means Pavel Datsuk's going to get to play hockey with Alex Ovechkin again because Datsuk is still playing in the KHL. I would imagine he at least, especially now, now? he will hold on to play in that Olympics. I'll try his so, best, yeah. Because that, that's going to be interesting as well. So speaking of Russia. Yeah, because we already discussed Latvia. So now we jump to Russia. Sorry. Or the Olympic athletes of Russia. I believe there's. St- are, are they still technically going to have to be the Olympic athlete? They're Russia. I don't really care. No. What we, the we IOC calls them. I mean, I mean, that's what they are. They are Russia. I think they yeah. will still technically be the Olympic athletes of Russia. I was trying to find like hard numbers on it and hard facts on it. I really couldn't. But apparently if they if they're still banned. They don't want Russia in the title at all. So, like, they're going to change the Olympic athletes of Russia title again to something. I don't know. But Evgeny Malkin, our one and only Russian, yes, is going to be on that team as well. The IOC did ban Russia from major events for the next four years, including 2020 Tokyo and 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. Word, okay. Yeah, it was so, hard to yes, like, they get will be hard the, facts on it, but yeah. Yeah. So they, they will definitely not be 
Team Russia, but they will be a team of Russians. And so, defending a gold medal. They, yeah, they, they're, they'll be defending the gold medal from 2018. So Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. Who has made the Olympics three times already and has never gotten a medal. Yeah. will be defending a gold. Hey, weird times, man. Weird times. Who do we have left? I, th- I know we have the United States, but we should leave them for last. Oh, they are last because uh, I have one more and then them. Because Finland, Sweden. Um, yeah. But real quick, Finland, Yusa Rikula, just it's no chance. Sorry. It would be unless nice. He, unless he starts playing a lot more in the next year because I think he's good enough to. Because Olimata made it a couple, what, the 2014. He was so. a consistent all the time because there's very few defensemen from Finland. Yeah. So, like, by default, Olimata would make it. I feel like, by default, Rikula could make it if he played more and was better than what he's been showing. But, I mean, we got we got two years to see for now. I just yeah, and he's going to be an RFA this year. So, if he wants to play more and goes somewhere that plays him more, I, I can easily see. I mean, at that point, he wouldn't be a Pittsburgh Penguin going to the Olympics. But... I still think I could see him on, on Olympic Team Finland come 2022. So let, let's get into Sweden. I have two players making it from the Penguins. I'll let you go ahead and say who you have. You got them both? Or I guess not both. But I wrote Patrick Hornquist in as a very as a, as the highest possibility on our roster right now. Mm-hmm. And Pedersen, no chance. They're rushed, they're, Sweden's defense is so deep. Pedersen doesn't it is. stand a chance. But as for Hornquist... Yeah, he'll, he'll be old, but, I mean, he's made the Olympics before. It was 2010, and... He seems know, to always play really well at the World Championships for them. He's an international guy. He would be the oldest on the team, probably. You know, he's a guy that could really offset some of these speedy Swedes that are going to be on that squad. Get under your skin. Be a physical guy in a non-physical tournament. He'll be older. Hopefully he doesn't get injured by then, but it could be something that is a very high possibility. We also have the expansion draft between now and then. So one of these players could also very well be taken in an expansion draft. Oh yeah. I had both Hornqvist and Pedersen. I think Pedersen's going to evolve into a very, very good national hockey league defenseman. And I think that gives him a chance to make team Sweden in 2022. Again, it's very far out. It would take a lot for him to do it, but I could realistically see him doing it. Now let's get into the United States, which is where I think we're going to have most of our discrepancies between our two lists. Oh, yeah. I, I saw yours because obviously I read your article, so I do have discrepancies. I know the one that both of us definitely have, and that's going to be Jake Gensel. Jake Gensel's a clear one, yeah. Playing for Nebraska-Omaha growing up, family now lives in Minnesota. Jake and Bake, definitely a health permitting, of course, because of you know, trying to come back from the shoulder injury. We'll get to see him on August 1st. I'll be excited to see that. By 2022, he already, if not now, has established himself as one of the top wingers, top U.S. wingers, excuse me, in the NHL. Right, yeah. Jake Gensel by far will be on that team, be a top six player probably. A lot of the... A lot of... Top six is going to be tough because like we mentioned, that team is going to have a lot of young skill on it. You give him a whole of 20, of of the 2020... 21 season i cannot wait to try and butcher that 80 times but you give him all of next season you never i mean he could have we could have been talking about him as making the first line this year if he was to finish this season but you give yeah, him that's all very of, true you give him all of next season i think he's got a hell of a shot to be top six two things one yes jake gensel i i can see him being top six more realistically i see him being a third liner yeah on that team 
And secondly, if you want a trick, just say 23 times and then say one. Yeah. 2020-21. <laughs> there you go. That's going to get butchered so often by all of us, mind <laughs> you. The whole network's probably going to be doing it. It's going to be difficult. But uh, I only had one other player from the Penguins possibly making it. And, I mean, you look at how good we mentioned Team Canada is going to be. You look at how good the people that live in there that were born in Russia and would like to represent Russia, but they don't represent Russia. They're just from Russia. They're going to have a good team. So the United States is going to need a shutdown defenseman. Absolutely. So that's why they're going to put Brian Dumoulin on that team. So you know what's funny? In my story, I had a whole Dumoulin paragraph written up, and I cut it right out. Because I looked at USA's defense, and I was like, eh, it'll be harder. It's possible. But I cut it right out. Yeah. I mean, he should. I think, in my opinion, he should. Will he? No. no. But I would put him on that team. I would, too. I, I, so, like I said, I had the paragraph written. I cut it out for reasons of getting wordy. I don't think my sense is rather making sense because it was kind of hard to really make sense of Brian Jubilant making an Olympic team. Yeah. But, hey, if you want to shut down defensemen from the Penguins to make the U.S. Olympic team, John Marino, who I think me and Jay Fresh discussed for a quick couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah, that'll interview. be the interview coming up in so, a little bit. So We'll get to that one. And I had one more name, one more fun name that – I know you're not going to agree with it. No one else is. But I threw it in because I couldn't delete two paragraphs from this. <laughs> you needed some. You needed to get to a word, certain word count, right? Nah, not really, but I mean. But yeah. Brian Rust. I don't know exactly where he's from. I can't remember right now. But Brian Rust. He went Rust, to Notre Dame. Notre Dame alum. Um, I mean, he led the team in goals this year. This would be the farthest shot. I know it would be. I mean, Pedersen probably has a better chance of making it than Russ right now. But he led the team in goals this year. He plays really well with just about anyone you put him with. I mean, we have to really still see that a little more than just Malkin. Mm -hmm. uh, but he put together a great season this year in just 55 games. You know, he was hurt, then it got shortened. If he explodes again next season, like I said, you give him all of the numbers season <laughs> – and who knows what could happen. Things could change. He could be a you know, a last pick in. Plus, one of the articles I read that Brian Russell was a guy that just missed cracking that lineup. So, you know, he's got the eyes of people who not make these decisions but are writing up lineups for Team USA. And I think he's he could have a pretty good shot if he was able to explode again next season like he did this one. Yeah, he definitely had a breakout season this year. You mentioned leading the team in goals. He is the first player, other than Jake Gensel, who did it last year, besides Crosby and Malkin in the last decade to lead the team in goals. It was Crosby, Malkin for the bulk majority, and then Kunitz led it in 2013. That was a weird year, Gensel <laughs> led it last year, and now Brian Russ leads it. So a little bit more of a variety coming here in the later years of Crosby and Malkin. So he had a great year, don't get me wrong, and he definitely established himself as a top-six winger in the NHL with Evgeny Malkin. Now I need to see him do it again. You got to see him do That's it. That's the big his own thing. Too, and yeah. even even if he does it again, that Team USA, we've said it enough times. That Team USA is going to be stacked. It's going to be stacked. And yeah. You're still going to have players like Patrick Kane taking up the wing. You're still going to have Jake Gensel, who's going to get the nod ahead of him mm -hmm. seven days out of the week, twice on Sunday. So, like you mentioned, it is a very far cry. I don't think it happens. It's a nice thought. It's a nice sentiment, Horwad. It makes me feel all bubbly inside. <laughs> But it also is not going to happen. So nice to think about. And realistically, not going to happen, unfortunately. So 
We're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, we have our interview with Jay Fresh. 37 and a half minutes of unadulterated quality content. We'll be right back. This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the tip of the iceberg brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Right now, we are being joined by a man who has catapulted himself to the forefront of the analytics community. His outstanding data visualizations and player cards help hockey fans, namely me, better understand the meaning and importance of the analytics in hockey. According to The Athletic, he is one of the top hockey Twitter accounts to follow right now. So please... Give him a follow, and also join us in welcoming onto the show, Jay Fresh Hockey. How's it going, bud? Not bad. How's it going, fellas? No, going pretty well. Going good, man. Looks like we're doing better off this time. I mean, we mentioned it last week. Our connection was not going well on our first <laughs> go around with this interview, but hey, we're back at it. Everything should be fine now. The only thing that might happen is that there's a storm around my neighborhood right now, so if my power oh. goes out, truck on without me. It'll be okay. <laughs> I mean, before we even get into talking hockey and everything i just want to know i mean uh what's the story behind using jack johnson in your profile image for everything it, it really started out when i did not think that anybody was going to be following me you know let alone paying any attention to what my profile picture was i just needed one you know i wasn't going to put my own face on there to start off and so i kind of you know just decided to chuck uh, jack johnson's handsome face on there and uh it's it's at this point i feel like if i did change it people would get confused and disoriented i feel like most of my fans you know people who follow me on twitter probably actually think that i do look like jack johnson to a certain extent at this point so you know i'm happy to keep him on there it does lead to some hilarious interactions like when mark madden went after me a couple months ago for saying that jack johnson was bad you know somebody actually kind of came into my mentions defending jack johnson and told me that i was as ugly as i looked so <laughs> It's uh, It's been a pretty good shield, honestly, so I might keep it going for a little while longer. Well, before you said that, I was going to say, well, I mean, Jack Johnson does look a little studly, so that, that's that's not a bad thing to be compared oh, to, yeah. right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not complaining at all. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're right. It is basically your brand now. I know when I first came across it, I was like, who's this guy using Jack Johnson? <laughs> and I looked at what you were actually posting. And I was like, oh, this is so funny. It's an analytics guy with Jack Johnson as his profile picture so i think it's perfect I, I think that you hit the nail on the head with it personally i got i got something for everybody 
if you like the analytics, you can read what I'm doing. If you don't, you can just look at my profile picture all day. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, we're talking about analytics, so of course we're going to mention Zach Aston Reese and his defensive game specifically. Clearly the Pens missed that in their final 12 games leading up to the pause. So when he's in the lineup, usually the Pens' fourth, fourth line excuse me, is incredible. And to me, I think it's one of the best fourth lines in the league. So what do you see that he does that makes him so good in the defensive zone and so good defensively overall? Yeah, well, I, I think Aston Reese is kind of a guy who's pretty divisive uh, among Penguins fans. I think Pens fans are, are pretty realistic and, and, you know, pretty positive about the state of our forward group, as they should be, because we have a, a really good one. Uh, but I think that, you know, people are always going to try to look for a weak link and, and maybe a scapegoat whenever anything goes wrong. And I feel like if you stumble into some areas of the Penguins fandom, you know, whether it's on Facebook comments or Reddit or, or you know, God forbid, HF boards, you know, Zach Estering is kind of a guy who gets singled out as uh, as maybe somebody who's not carrying his uh, his share of the load. But I mean, you look at the analytics and, and Aston Reese actually had the best defensive numbers in the NHL this year in terms of uh, his defensive, his goals above replacement, his impact on, on preventing scoring chances against, you know, the kinds of things that just from watching the game, you wouldn't necessarily get. And so I did kind of a deep dive into it because, you know, honestly, people who weren't Penguins fans were starting to ask me, you know, like there were some you know, writers, for instance, for The Athletic. Uh, who were trying to put their Selkie balls together and they're trying to like take a bit of an analytical look at it. And they're seeing that this random Penguins fourth liner that they haven't heard of since he got lit up by Tom Wilson is right at the top of all these stat pages. You know, they want to know what's happening. And, you know, I'm a guy just like you. I, I watch all the Penguins games and I still didn't feel like I was able to give them like a full answer of what the hell he was doing out there. You know, I say, oh, he's a good four checker. You know, he's responsible, good positioning. But I mean, nothing that would really lead to, oh, yeah, also, he's the best defensive winger in the NHL. So I decided to kind of look deep into it, watch a couple games, you know, and I would just warn anybody who's, who's considering, you know, doing some kind of like eye test, you know, game tape viewing, uh, watching fourth line left wings who are all defense is the most boring thing that you could do with your time. Uh, so I wouldn't recommend that. But I, I took the plunge anyway. And, and basically what he's good at defensively is not being in the defensive zone. And I think that that's actually the key for that entire fourth line and what makes them so effective is that Sullivan can kind of just throw them out. doesn't matter who it's against. You know, they play against really hard competition. You know, they play like Zach Aston Reese played against tougher competition this year than Evgeny Malkin did. Like he, that's how much they were trusted in terms of shutting down opponents. And it didn't matter. Sullivan chucks them out over the boards. They spent 30 to 40 seconds, just ragging the puck in the offensive zone, pressing it against the boards, driving people nuts you know, forcing defensemen to clear the puck out instead of making a breakout pass. And then, you know, their shit's over. They head back over the bench and then Crosby can come out and, and take advantage of everybody being exhausted and pissed off. So, you know, I, I, what that translates to a lot of the time is that you're not seeing a lot of offense coming from them. But it also means that when we're talking about, you know, they're good defensively, he's so effective defensively. That doesn't mean that we're saying that Aston Reese is like covering his point, you know, at a generational level. That just means that, you know, the Penguins defensively in terms of facing quality chances against, they just aren't when Zach, Zach Aston Reese is on the ice, which is the most valuable thing you could really ask for. Yeah, and the big thing you mentioned is they don't really put up a lot of points. And that's what I think the big issue is and why it's so important that you're doing what you're doing is people rely, a lot of people rely on the hard stats like, oh, that's whether or not a player is good. 
but sometimes, especially in the case of, like you mentioned, a fourth line left wing that's all defense, or maybe a guy like Brian Dumlin, it's the stuff that you don't see. It's the fact that he doesn't have certain statistics and he doesn't have certain things. Sometimes the best thing for players and the best thing to know that they're doing their job correctly is that nothing's happening when they're on the ice because that's technically what you want if you're a Zach Aston Reese or a Brian Dumlin. You want to just not allow anything and yes they're they're in the offensive zone a lot and I think that's that's very important and I I really when I looked at his numbers I was like oh is he that good in the defensive zone but it's interesting that you bring up the fact that it's because he's not really in the defensive zone it's because they cycle so well and they keep the puck down in the forward zone that his defensive numbers just look that much better yeah absolutely yeah plus when you talk about you know the Selkie conversation he's probably never going to be in it because of the fact he's not a big name player and usually the big names aren't the ones being nominated or winning the awards but I mean who knows maybe sometime in the future if this can continue and he can make a name for himself as this defensive-minded guy like I can't think of one from the past like like Guy Carboneau comes to my mind like it's his main focus is offense yes but he's a very good at playing a defensive style game but I just want to flip it to something more recent that you wrote about I touched on it a little bit in a story I wrote predicting um, Olympic rosters you did a whole USA one um, and said that John Marino should make the team based on analytics and you know I said he deserves a good look at a tryout or something but do you have a little more detail on John Marino possibly making the Olympic team yeah I mean the thing is in all realism he's probably not gonna make the Olympic yeah. team you know and and it's not because I'm, I'm a homer and I'm just giving the Penguins everything that they could possibly want but I think it's just a fact of, you know, I mean, Seth Jones is on that right side. John Carlson is on the, that right side. Neither of those guys ended up on the roster that I had put together, uh, which was, you know, obviously not a prediction. It was more of kind of what I would do based on the numbers, especially. Uh, I mean, the thing with Marino and, you know, I mean, I expected nothing from Marino. I thought that it was going to be, you know, maybe a, a use of Rico situation where he puts together a good preseason and then he kind of comes in and he, he struggles a little bit. He has to get adjusted. But instead, I mean, Marino stepped in and was like immediately one of the best defensive defensemen in the NHL. Like he, he literally had the best defensive numbers of any defenseman in the NHL this year. Like he was the Aston Reese of defense, you know, and we're talking about a 22 year old guy who we traded like what a fifth round pick for over the off season and didn't expect anything out of like, I, like I honestly, like we could be talking about a guy who, if he can just, it, not even if he can improve, if he can just, what he did this season, if he could just do that for the next five, six years, you know, even further than that, you know, we're talking about the Penguins having like a massive asset back there, like on the back end and in terms of being able to shut down defensemen. I mean, we've been or shut down opposing forwards. I mean, you know, we've been talking for how long about, oh yeah, we want the Penguins to acquire like a, a Jonas Brodeen or a Yalmerson or like a, just a shutdown guy back there. And I mean, one just fell into our laps for basically free. And, you know, I, I, I honestly think that, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the American Olympic team, I think that's a, a huge asset is having a shutdown defenseman who actually plays shutdown defense. Canada had Vlasic a couple of years ago. And, and again, like just based on what he did this year, if Marino can keep up that performance, like Vlasic really is not that far off a comparable for him, which sounds insane. But Marino honestly earned it this year. Yeah, plus he's got two years to grow back there. I mean, to make it this season, or even if you know 2026 comes around, if he's still able to hold on to all that um, defensive skill, who knows what you know his international future holds for him. Definitely a guy like Marino. I touched on Rust even 
possibly growing into something like that, a depth guy for them. I thought about Brian Dumoulin, but that was just a different way off base thing that I thought of. But going forward, you think all these older management groups usually don't look at analytics, or at least they're trying to get more into it. But do you think that these older management groups are starting to use analytics a lot more to get a better grasp on you know, their players or possible signings? Yeah. Well, I mean, so the thing about analytics is that it's not just kind of like one thing. Like the way that I talk about analytics a lot is kind of what I would call macro stats, which is kind of, you know, like the thing that we talked about with Astabris, you know, it's he, when he's on the ice, the Penguins don't allow chances against, you know, with, with Crosby, of course, it'd be the other way around. You know, they generate high quality scoring chances, they finish on them. That would be kind of macro level ways of looking at the game. And so if you're kind of active on Twitter, especially, and kind of that's that's more kind of outward facing types of analytics that are really talked about. But then there's also a whole other kind of universe, which is called, you know, microstats, which is kind of specific manual tracking of stuff that happens on the ice. So that would be, you know, like breakout passes, successful breakouts, carrying the puck over the blue line. You know, that's the kind of stuff that you can't just like program a model to collect. You have to manually watch all the games and do all that stuff, which means that there's these big companies that exist where that's just, that's what they do is they, they have like an army of people who watch all the games, track all that stuff, and then they make it available to teams. Uh, and, and for example, like John Chaka, who's the manager of the Coyotes, like that's how he made his name was by starting a company that did that and kind of pioneering that area of hockey. And I think that that's an area that teams are especially looking at, uh, I think in part because, you know, and, and I, I've been a little critical of, of kind of over-reliance on microstats in the past, uh, is I, I think those kinds of stats essentially function as like a more detailed scouting report. You know, like they, instead of saying, you know, this guy is good on the breakout, he has a good first pass, they can basically say, yes, this guy is like a top 20 player in the NHL at making that first pass or at carrying the puck in the blue line or at passing the puck on the cycle. Whereas the kind of macro level stuff that I'm talking about, if you're like an old time hockey GM, like if you're Jim Rutherford and I say, you know, you shouldn't sign Jack Johnson because his wins above replacement is low. You know, if you're Jim Rutherford, your eyes are going to glaze over. Whereas if you say Jack Johnson is like a top five player at winning puck battles along the boards or something like that, you're going to be a lot more interested. So I do think analytics are undoubtedly getting more of a hold in front offices. It's just the question is kind of what types of analytics are they? And also to what extent are they actually being taken into account by front offices to make good decisions? Because if you have a huge analytics department and you still sign Jack Johnson to a five-year contract, you know, what are you really achieving in the long term? Yeah, a big part, portion of that is actually listening to the people that you're paying to do this work. So how important do you think, along those same lines, how important do you think the implementation of these now censored pucks? I don't know if they said that they're going to continue to do it with the, the COVID Cup playoffs, but before all this happened, there was the fact that they were going to come out with censored pucks to better track possession and stuff like that. So how important do you think that's going to be to the analytic side of the game? Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on on the first thing is whether it's going to be made publicly available because, you know, the NHL kind of they started tracking all these stats back in 2007, which is why that's kind of as early as you can get in terms of like wins above replacement numbers and stuff like that, is that that's when the public data of like those detailed stuff starts to come out. The real question is whether the NHL is going to keep whatever data that comes out of these new sensors or player chips or whatever they decide to implement. Uh, whether they're going to kind of keep them under wraps for their own purposes or just make them available to like 
gambling websites and things like that, or if they're actually going to make them kind of free and open use like they do the rest of the data and make it so that modelers like, you know, Micah McCurdy or, or Evolving Wild or, or what have you can kind of take that extra next step on their, you know, expected goals models or their wins above replacement models or, or, or what have you. Without dispute, censored pucks and player chips would definitely make these models a bit sharper. I don't think, you know, based on much smarter people than me, like like Garrett Hole's kind of an, an OG hockey analytics guy, you know, like maybe, you know, the smartest analytics mind out there, you know, he's basically said, you know, improving this kind of data and this proprietary data would sharpen what we already have. It would improve it, but it wouldn't revolutionize it. But still, you're never going to argue against having better data out there. So fingers are crossed that it would be out there um, and teams would absolutely have access to it no matter what. But I, I'm personally really hoping that it's going to be available to the public. So, so we will also be able to get a look at it and get a better sense of what's going on. Yeah, I know they mentioned a couple times that they're going to use some of it for broadcast, but like you mentioned, how much of it's going to be available for broadcast? How much of it are they going to reserve for themselves? So only time will tell with stuff like that. But I do want to jump into the Pittsburgh Penguins versus Montreal Canadiens matchup that in about two weeks' time from now, we'll hopefully be getting ready to start. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is something that I think everybody, especially in Penguins Twitter land and Penguins sports talk land, stuff like that. Everybody's talking about it. So if you were deciding based pretty much solely on analytics, who gets to start on night one? Do you go Matt Murray or do you go with the younger Tristan Jari? Well, technically less experienced. I won't say younger. Yeah, I actually don't know which one of them is younger. Were they were they in this? Oh, I think, yeah, Jari was 2013 and, and Murray was 2012. So I yeah. guess Murray has a bit of an edge. Okay, so so here's the thing. Like I I wrote about the Murray versus Jari conundrum a couple months ago, and the the headline was Murray or Jari for the Penguins. There might be no good option, and I think that's kind of where my head's at in terms of this playoff matchup, which I know is not the answer that I would be kind of expected to give, especially if I'm coming from an analytical perspective. Because the fact of the matter is that Murray was probably the worst starting goalie in the NHL this year. Just statistically, you know, he wasn't the worst goalie overall, like Jimmy Howard and Devin Dubnik were worse, but they were kind of more in a backup role uh, this year, thanks to either injuries or in Howard's place, just being so terrible that the Red Wings couldn't even help themselves to, to keep him in there. But yeah, like I have him as the 31st ranked starter in the league by, by a couple of the models out there. Uh, whereas Jari, I think, would be kind of more in that middle tier. And so right off the bat, you know, you kind of look at that and you say, well, okay, so it's obviously Jari. But the thing is, I think with goalies especially, because they're so unpredictable, you have to kind of break things down just a little bit more to see what happened. And in the case of the Murray or Jari thing, the difference really comes in those first couple months of the season, uh, especially November and December. And that's basically where the difference between them comes from, is Murray, as all Penguins fans are fully aware, was terrible in November, awful in December. Whereas Jari comes in and steals his job with just a spectacular performance in those two months. Uh, and I think that that's what's kind of in our heads is, you know, we remember Jari sealing those games. I think what's a little bit less memorable to us is that in 2020, they were basically the same. Like there really was not that much of a difference. In fact, you know, there were there were periods in which Murray was was pretty significantly better than Jari uh, or, you know, even just a little bit better. And I think that that makes things a little bit more challenging because I don't think it's a guarantee that if you put the difference between putting Jari or Murray in the net is not necessarily going to be the difference between their full season stats. Jari was pretty 
touch and go. I think you were either going to get something amazing out of him or something not so great. And obviously the same is, is true of, uh, of Murray, um, except in reverse, where he's only getting something okay or something terrible. But the thing with Murray is that we know what he can do in the playoffs. You know, we kind of know what, what we're getting from him in that regard. He's, he's generally been pretty strong in the playoffs, even last year. Whereas with Jari, I mean, you know, God knows he, he might come in there and be awful. He might come in there and, you know, be incredible, but he's more of the, an unknown quantity there. So I, I mean, if I'm Sullivan, I, I have to admit, I might be a little bit tempted to go with Murray just because he's kind of more of a stable option back there in terms of what he's provided in the playoffs. But I would be like, I would have like the cane out there on the bench. Like I would be ready to reel him back in at the first sign of trouble if, if it looked like things were going south because we all know with him. We know that we're either getting great goaltending or we're getting a disaster. And the Penguins obviously can't afford a disaster in a five-game series. So it's a tough question. Uh, and again, no good answers, I'm yeah. sad to say. <laughs> yeah. How important do you think high danger save percentage is when, when evaluating these two guys? Because I know Matt Murray's w- was decent, but Tristan Jari's was the one thing I think analytically that was glaringly bad so how much stock do you put into that stat so i i kind of prefer to take a bit more of a general look in terms of you know seeing how they perform relative to expected overall uh just because i think that it's usually a good reflection of the kind of chances that they're going to face and also i mean if you have a guy who's really good at high danger save percentage but is terrible at low danger save percentage you know you're not really getting that much you know, out of him overall. It just means that, you know, these are the chances that he's going to let in. These are the chances that he's not going to let in. The one thing that I would say there would be if you were projecting, you know, the kind of team that you're going to play against and the kind of shots they take, you know, theoretically you could say, you know, well, Shea Weber takes a lot of slap shots from the point. So maybe you don't want a guy with a, you know, low, low danger save percentage, but I mean, the other Gallagher too, and, and all these net front guys. So I don't think that's as much of a factor. I think relative to expectation, Jari was pretty clearly better than Murray this year overall. And I think that that would be really what would matter if you were comparing their workload this season. As far as projecting that out to a playoff series, that's where the trouble really starts to come into play. And you also mentioned that it's a, we can't have trouble with Matt Murray in a short series, which is you know, very true, especially when he's going against a goalie like Carey Price, who can steal three straight games and call it a night, like at, on the flip of a switch, or he can fall apart for three games just like Murray can do. It's two very back-and-forth goalies if we're going Murray-Price. Outside of that, you know, we're talking the skaters that have to do things too, which is, you know, the Penguins seem to have a slightly better advantage on special teams with a better power play and definitely a better penalty kill. But when it comes to five-on-five, five-on-five play, who do you think has the advantage there? And how do these teams match up like that? Well, I mean, so that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people are are saying, you know, the Pens are going to win this one running away. And I don't think that that's a totally fair assessment. I think people are also saying that the Habs only have a chance if Carey Price, you know, gets back to that like 2015 level. I don't think that's fair either. I think the the Habs are pretty much the best possible 10 seed that you could really expect or whatever seed they are in, in these playoffs. Like they are that kind of exact profile of a team that has the excellent underlying numbers, but just couldn't put it together. And it's not even a matter of, you know, they they just t- totally couldn't score. They totally couldn't get a save. 
certainly they had issues with that. But I mean, just in terms of just their goals for percentage, like the percentage of goals that they scored compared to let in, you know, they were, you know, 51% team. They were kind of in that 13th in the league range. And that's even setting aside like any, you know, shots or expected goals or anything like that. I mean, this is a team that got incredibly unlucky when it came to losing one goal games, you know, losing games in overtime. I think that, as you mentioned, you alluded to the to the special teams issue. I think that's a big area where the Penguins are going to have a pretty decisive advantage. Uh, the penalty kill is obviously a glaring one, but I think the Penguins' power play numbers are definitely uh, underestimating them just because there were so many injuries. I mean, you're, you know, we're going to get Sid back and, and Gensel back and, you know, have all these options that we didn't necessarily have before. You know, even having a guy like Zucker on the, on the second power play is, is something that you know, was a luxury that we definitely didn't have in, in December when Aston Reese was occasionally finding himself on a power play. So I think that a healthy Penguins power play will blow the Habs special teams out of the water. And I think that that's a pretty decisive point of advantage for the Pens. But when it comes to the five on five game, I think the Penguins do have an advantage, uh, especially with a healthy lineup. I think the Penguins underlying numbers are underrating them to a pretty big extent, especially because they were so bad in February. The, if you take out February, I think the Penguins are a much better looking team from an overall perspective. But I mean, you get rid of Demoulin and Marino and you put Johnson on the top pair, you know, good things aren't going to happen. And that's pretty much what took place there. So I think the Habs have a route to win this series. They're a great five on five team. They have some really deceptively dangerous pieces that people don't really talk about. You know, that top line of Tatar, Dano and uh, Gallagher was arguably the most effective five-on-five line in the league, aside from maybe the Bergeron, Pasternak, uh, Marchand line this year. And it's not big names, but they they got the job done. So I think the Penguins should probably take the Habs a little bit more seriously than than you think based on how people are talking about them. And you actually alluded to my next question in your answer there, so thanks for the easy segue on that one. But what do you think is more likely to happen in this series? The Penguins to regress to their expected goals for because they kind of overachieved during this season slightly. Or do you expect the Canadians to perform up to their expected goals for? Because like you mentioned, they were just unlucky and just kind of kind of underneath their expected goals for. They were great at five on five, but couldn't convert. So which one do you think in this series is probably more likely to happen? Uh, so I would uh, what I would expect. So I, I think from the Habs, first of all, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were. I don't think that they're going to, you know, them playing against the Penguins, they're going to be able to keep up their massive possession edge. Because, I mean, theoretically, neither of these teams can play up to their expected goal numbers because they were both well above 50%. In theory, the Habs could have a possession advantage in this series. Uh, I think what would be more expected for the Penguins, because, uh, I mean, the Penguins have good shooters. There's no doubt about that. And the Penguins were without a lot of their good shooters all season. So if I had to guess, what I would say is that the Penguins are probably going to get the shooting talent boost from healthy Sid, healthy Gino, healthy Gensel, Zucker, you know, playing for them all this way. They're probably going to see a little bit of a shooting decline from guys like Brian Rust and Jared McCann, who I think just shot the lights out this year. I think McCann especially is a guy who's really primed for those pucks to start not going in again. Um, The thing with the Habs is that, I mean, they just, they don't really have the shooting talent in their lineup. You know, they have guys who can score, but they, you know, it's not like they have like those guys who are reliably putting pucks in the net all the time because of their insane sniping abilities. So, I mean, looking at like the, the line to line breakdown this year uh, and, you know, I, I kind of did that in a preview piece that I, that I wrote up for this series, you know, where I kind of broke the matchup down, you know, first line, second line, third line, fourth line. 
you know, and using kind of three-year stats of like shooting and finishing talent, the Penguins, every single line that the Penguins have on forward is a better shooting line as to, in terms of shooting talent than the Habs have. So I would be surprised if the Habs saw their scoring actually reach their expected goal generation, whereas I think that what would be more likely for the Penguins is that the expected goal generation shoots up with more talent coming into the lineup healthy. So the Habs might regress, and that would be kind of the nightmare situation, and it's definitely not something you can rule out with the Penguins goaltending, but I, I do feel good overall about how the Penguins will look healthy when they finally are able to come together. Yeah, it's been about, what, six, seven months in the making since we've seen a healthy Penguins lineup. I mean, you can honestly probably go back to last season since we saw an actually healthy Penguins lineup. So Yeah, I was going to be... say, like, what, 2016, you know, game <laughs> six would be, the, uh, would be the last time? Yeah, probably. Close to that, at least. Big question here. Putting you on the spot. If you had to give a prediction, how does this series shake up, and how far do you think the Penguins go in the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, I'll, I'll answer the second question first. Okay. I until until Crosby and Malkin are t absolutely done, I'm picking the Penguins to win the Cup every year. That's just a matter of principle. Is uh, I picked them last year, picked them the year before. I got I was pretty fortunate those two years in a row where I actually won my playoff pools as a result. But I mean, this team always has the ceiling. Like they 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 always could win the Cup. Uh, I think they could make it super tough for themselves to win the Cup, depending on how much they play certain guys but i think this team could absolutely win the cup and i think that they should be considered one of the favorites uh especially you know if they get out of this round of course but i, I don't think any team in the nhl should want to play this this team especially you know if they're healthy and they have the fourth line clicking if they have you know rust and malkin and, and whoever they decide to put on that line working together you know if they have the defense john marino in that big role if they're heavily sheltering Jack Johnson or, I mean, God forbid, not having him in the lineup. And if they can get the solid goaltending, you know, even even okay goaltending, I feel like they could make a, a decent run here. Uh, in this series in particular, I have the Penguins in four. Uh, I think the Habs win a game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see, see them win more games. I wouldn't be shocked to see them win three games uh, and, and actually steal this one. But I do think the Penguins, when healthy, have a pretty decisive advantage here that that would lead me to, to give it to them in four games. So outside of the Pittsburgh-Montreal series, do you have any bold predictions for the playoffs? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> trying to think. Because I, I, I've been kind of going through series by series, uh, or at least I started doing that. And then kind of when things started going a little bit south in terms of the preparation, I kind of stopped. So I, I think I got to the, uh, the Nashville versus Arizona preview which, spoiler alert, was not one of the most read pieces I've ever uh, I've ever written. I mean, you know, hey, the, the Penguins aren't aren't even in there yet. So I feel like them winning the Cup, I'm going to try to smuggle that in as a as a big prediction. But uh, it would be, I mean, it would be cool to see uh, to see like Jake Gensel make like a an improbable Con uh, Smythe run. I wouldn't mind that. Um, in terms of teams that have like the really good analytics who might come together, uh, theoretically you could see the Minnesota Wild some Wild somehow being pretty dangerous and uh, you know getting through Vancouver and then making their way through just because they do dominate possession to that certain extent. And they have kind of similar problems to the Habs, except their their shooting is a little bit better and their goaltending is far worse. So theoretically that that could go sideways pretty quick. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I could do the boring analytics thing and say that the Carolina Hurricanes are 
going to win the Stanley Cup like they've been supposed to for the past couple of years. But yeah. And outside of the Penguins and almost said Hurricanes, the Habs series, and throwing out analytics, throwing out stats and everything, just to watch hockey, is there a series you're particularly excited to watch? Oh, man. So, I, I mean, I'm in Toronto. I'm excited to watch that Blue Jackets Leaf series. Uh, and, you know, I'm – you asked me to throw out the stats. I'm not going to completely throw out the stats. Okay. That is – quite possibly the most like hilarious potential series just in terms of like the statistical profile of the two teams because the the jackets have like no offense whatsoever as you might imagine from like losing Panarin they can't really score you know they've been basically making you know they've been just playing strong defensive hockey all year Leafs are the absolute opposite really good offensively really good scoring talent cannot defend so I really want to know what is going to happen in the series, like whether it is like every single game is just like perfectly even down the middle or like which which way things start to get. I, I, I will say I wish that there were different circumstances so I could watch a Leafs jacket series like in sports bars and watch, you know, Leafs fans lose their minds as they have to play a series of like, you know, two to one playoff games. But uh, that's one that I'm definitely looking forward to uh, for sure. I guess you'll just have to settle for Leafs Twitter and have fun with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, Jackets fans don't like me either. So I think that no matter what would happen, I, if I make any comment about that series at all, people are going to start getting on me. So, As you said it, you said pens and four. That's, that's your official tip of the iceberg <laughs> prediction. So we'll hold you to that. But, I mean, if all else fails, we could just watch Lafreniere with the Penguins next year, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no, absolutely. I wouldn't complain about that uh, about that outcome. I do like the idea that people keep talking about how teams should like tank, like how teams, how like the 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 Habs should like put Keith Kincaid in the net or something. And you know, can you imagine like an actual like professional hockey GM who like might have a contract negotiation come coming up, like intentionally tanking his team for a twelve point five percent chance at winning yeah. a top pick? Yeah, and a top pick. That's I mean. All, all picks are unproven, but, I mean, you look at that, you also have to convince your players who are all fighting for a spot that, hey, we should tank so we get this guy that may or may not replace you. So, yeah, do that. And people actually think the players are going to be like, yeah, I'll do it. If I was the GM at that point, I would just mention to them that it would mean that they could, like, see their family two weeks earlier. And that might honestly get them to do it. But, <laughs> it, I mean, look, it'll be nice to, uh, to at least have, you know, if the Penguins do miss the playoffs for the first time since 2006 because of this stupid tournament that, you know, kicked them out because they decided to play Jack Johnson for a month and dropped a bunch of points that the Flyers picked up on. At least it will be nice to have something to look forward to, at least for a little bit, that they could potentially get Lafreniere before it just, you know, things settle and then the first round pick just goes to the wild because they don't win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, that's just a little tiny consolation. So, I mean, last thing, you're, you're saying you're not confident in a Jack Johnson, Justin Schultz third pairing? <laughs> uh, no. No, and well, I, well, here's the thing. I'm not confident in Jack Johnson, Justin Schultz pairing, as nobody should be. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, people there were kind of like those line rushes and stuff that people were reporting on, you know, the Penguins are starting to work out together. And, you know, the, everything was, like, with a grain of salt because you, you know, it's like, yeah, you can't, like, really conclude anything based on these. Like, these people are being allowed into the building at, like, certain times. Like, certain guys aren't in town. But the uh, the early line rushes on defense were uh, Pedersen Schultz, Demoulin uh, Marino, and Johnson Latang. And if, I, you know, 
I'm not going to get upset about that yet. There's still two weeks for me to uh, live in peace before that possibility comes up. But <laughs> I mean, like if, if the Penguins want to have a chance at the Lexi Lafreniere, that would be the easiest way for them to do it because like, I, like I really can't emphasize enough. And this is what got Mark Madden and that person who was really mean about Jack Johnson's looks pissed off at me was pointing out that like Johnson Latang for that like stretch this season was maybe the worst pairing that the Penguins have put together for like more than a hundred minutes in the Crosby era. Like it was that bad. And especially if you look at what it did to Crosby specifically, like he comes back from that injury and he just has no offense at all when he's on the ice specifically with Johnson and Latang, just because they can't break the puck out. They can't handle it. Johnson I'm sure is just like tripping over himself every time he tries to get out of his own end. He's just sending it up the wall. Nobody's receiving passes. Like if, if that is the line that they're going to put out there for 20 minutes against the Habs, like the series is basically, you know, I don't want to be a defeatist, but the series is basically over at that point. So, you know, Hey, if that's their way of, of getting Alexi Lafreniere and starting off another 20 year era of Penguins dominance, respect to them. But if they actually want to win, I would hope that they are going to hide Johnson as much as possible. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, grain of salt. Coaches aren't even allowed in the building yet, so I'm sure Sullivan <laughs> will come in and hopefully just be like, no, no, this is not what we're doing, guys. Yeah, maybe maybe Latang just likes Johnson that much. I, by, all accounts, he's an, he, by all accounts, he's a nice fella, so maybe he just wanted to hang out. Yeah, he's a good he's a good dad. He kind of took that role from Matt <laughs> Cullen. So, But uh, thank you very much, Jay Fresh Hockey. You can follow him at Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter. Uh, and right now, I mean, if you have anything else to plug, like you mentioned your article, if you want to plug that, and I know you have a Patreon getting set up so go ahead plug away yeah so i obviously have the twitter which you mentioned uh i'm been inc increasingly writing stuff uh recently it's on a Substack, which would be jfresh.substack.com uh i i did a couple things including the olympic roster projections for the u.s and canada which you mentioned earlier uh piece on zach Aston reese on seth jones and actually today i dropped a uh a article on on dougie hamilton kind of a breakdown into whether he could actually be considered one of the best defensemen in the league, which is a pretty controversial topic between people who use analytics and people who don't necessarily do that. So make sure to check that out. And I've, it's the kind of newsletter you can sign up for and regularly get that kind of content uh, uh, in your inbox. And then uh, the Patreon as well. Uh, I do a lot of kind of visualizations and stuff. That's kind of my main focus is putting together ways to kind of illustrate stats and make them a little bit more understandable if you're not, you know, math savvy, which I'm definitely not. Uh, and so those are all available to you if you uh, sign up for my Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com slash jfreshhockey. $5 a month, you get uh, access to a whole bunch of cool stuff. $10 a month, you get all that same stuff, but I also send you a picture of Jack Johnson every week. So, you know, make your decision carefully. Well, that is so enticing. I think I might have to, I might have to just do that right now. So I, I'll get off of this, and I'll probably have to go check that out. Once again, Jay Fresh, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we love your insight, and I personally love your data visualizations. It's the only reason that I have any understanding of hockey analytics, so I appreciate you, and I hope everybody checks you out after this. And uh, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. A huge thank you goes out to Jay Fresh once again. Great insight, so I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. And go follow him, as we mentioned at the end there, at Hockey on Twitter. One of the best Twitter accounts to follow. What did you think about this entire episode? A very, very long one. Probably the longest we've ever done. 
But I mean, considering all the stuff that happened this past week, plus that fantastic interview with Jay Fresh, pretty fair to say probably one of our best episodes yet. This episode, it almost felt like it was a long time coming because we knew hockey was going to come back in some way, shape or form eventually, whether it be a preseason, a regular season or uh, what we have now, which is these playoffs. I feel like in the back of my head, I always kind of knew the first episode back had to be some kind of banger. You know, it's fun getting the new opinions, the new thoughts on things and hypes everyone up for more for hockey going forward. And it's coming up, man. I expect the next couple episodes will probably be probably be the same situation of just fun episodes that are going to get everyone amped a little bit more. And you mentioned those next episodes, episodes 68 and 69. Those are listener episodes. So we'll have at least eight listeners of the show coming on to talk pens versus habs so that is what's coming up next week and the following leading us up to august 1st and the showdown between the pittsburgh penguins and the montreal canadians but that is all for this one you can go visit our merch site at tip of the iceberg.whatforapparel.com fantastic sweatshirts great coffee mugs you can get a tank top because we're in the dog days of summer right now check us out at tip of the iceberg dot what for apparel.com and also don't forget to check out our sponsors at manscaped you can use code thpn for 20 percent off and free shipping for products like the lawnmower 3.0 and also the new weed whacker which is a nose and ear hair trimmer so go check that out and you can use code thpn for 20 percent off that as well and also check out coolhockey.com slash thpn our friend at blue notes pod tom franklin got his hands on a beautiful winter classic nashville predators roman yossi jersey so go over to coolhockey.com slash thpn use code thpn for 30 percent off your authentic nhl jerseys also including premium hand stitching like i say premium hand stitching so go check them out as well you can follow us on twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. And we're also on Instagram at Iceberg Podcast. So give us a follow on there too. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from. So please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network that also includes those after-hour shows that were just an extravaganza. So check that out on our Patreon site. But you can visit the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Every team, everywhere, hockey is back, and we'll see you guys next week.